Those parents who'd like their children to attend children's church and preschool praise can be dismissed at this time. Encourage the rest of you to take the sermon outline from your bulletin and use it to take some notes, fill in blanks. We have the text for you there and also the outline. This may be a useful tool for you to remember what the Lord has taught and perhaps bring it up later on today or this week with your family and friends. You know, back in the olden days, we used to use physical maps to find our destination. I think many people growing up today don't know how to read a map. But you know, having physical maps caused no small disagreements between people when discussing the best way to get to a destination. Most people thought that when these GPS systems came and we were able to have them in our car, that that would eliminate many arguments because there would be only one way, one efficient way to get to that destination. But then GPS map applications got smarter and they started adapting to traffic situations and rerouting you or detouring you to save time. You know, when my wife and I travel to different destinations, we often use two or three different GPS systems to find the fastest routes. But they often will conflict, and we sometimes disagree as to which one is the better one. Sometimes we use the same GPS application on both of our phones, and we get different route suggestions. And It is the cause of discussion as well. We like alternate ways to get to a destination. We like the freedom of choosing which way we want to go. But when it comes to the way to know God and getting to heaven, God tells us in his word there is only one way. There is no other route that will get you there. And of course, this is not a popular message in our pluralistic, relativistic world. But God's way is the greatest gift and the way of true freedom and life. And that's the subject of our text today as we continue in our Advent sermon series called The Gift of the Great I Am. Last week, we embarked on this eight-sermon series looking at the I Am statements found in the Gospel of John, the I Am Statements of Jesus. And we are examining these I Am Statements to find out how Jesus, through his incarnation, gives us the greatest gifts through his coming to this earth and the reasons that we have to celebrate and be joyful during Christmas. Last week we looked at the greatest of the I Am Statements in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59, when Jesus was challenged by the religious leaders as to who he thought he was, and you recall, he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. And that term, I am, was well known to the Jews. It was the self-designation of God himself in Exodus chapter 3. When God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, he said, this is my name, I am. 
And so Jesus was declaring that he was the sovereign one, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one, the everywhere present one, the transcendent one, the self-existent God of the universe in flesh. Well, the Pharisees immediately knew what Jesus was implying, and they took up stones to kill him because they believed he was blaspheming. This I am statement of Jesus validates all the other I am statements. And the one we're looking at today is John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, before we take a closer look at that verse, let's deal briefly, point number one, with the context of the text. After the euphoria of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, that triumphal entry, he began teaching in the temple. And he spoke of his impending arrest and death and departure from this world to his disciples. And here we find him in chapter 14 in the upper room with his disciples before his arrest. And he tells them of his imminent betrayal of one of them, one in their midst. And he's also told them of Peter's denial and how he will deny him three times and then hear the rooster crow. So we come to chapter 14. So please follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 6. This is the word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thus far the reading of God's word. The disciples were obviously troubled. They were dismayed at the teaching that they heard from Jesus predicting his death and that there would be betrayal and a a desertion among many of them. And they were sad at the prospects of, of this information. And Jesus, knowing their anguish, spoke these words. And it's amazing that Jesus would have such concern, such sensitivity, such compassion on them when he knew the kind of horror that he would be about to experience. Jesus speaks very gently, but with firmness that they should not let their hearts be troubled. The heart is the center, the fulcrum of feeling and faith the mainspring of words and actions. These are not just words for his immediate disciples, but for all of us who follow Christ. And literally, he says, don't let your hearts shudder. He explains then how to do this in the next phrase. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. And the tense here means keep on believing. He knew that their faith was weak that it would waver, it would be sorely tested in the next three days. And he tells them to continue to rest in God and in himself, 
with their entire being. And the clear implication of these phrases placed right next to each other, believe in God, believe also in me, is Jesus claiming that he is one with God, that he is God. And the effective guard against a troubled heart is to believe in him. They were afraid. They were afraid of what it would be like to be without Jesus. And so Jesus assures them that his departure is for a purpose. The purpose is that they would once again be reunited with him. It would not be a permanent separation. He's going back to heaven. He's going to the Father's house where there are many rooms for all of us. And that someday he would come again and receive us to himself. He's preparing a place. Now, there are 318 allusions or direct references to the fact that Jesus is going to return and take us to be with him personally in the New Testament. He is not only going to bring us to heaven, but when he says, take you to myself, that brings with it the idea in the Greek of a welcome, intimate embrace. They didn't understand this yet, but Jesus' mission was to go to the cross And without his death and resurrection, there would be no place for them in the Father's house. But then Jesus says in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. And the way that he's referring to is the means by which the disciples are brought into heaven, into the Father's house. Jesus says, and you know the way. Well, they didn't think they knew the way. Thomas says they're representative said in verse 5 we do not know where you are going how can we know the way that must have been awfully frustrating for Jesus because he has been with them for three years teaching them that he was the way but here Thomas is saying we're not sure where you're going and we don't know how to get there when what Jesus is talking about is the way the disciples much must take to reach heaven So now we come to one of Jesus' most quoted statements in the Bible. In verse 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So for the next three points of our sermon, we're going to look briefly at this threefold statement of I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then the final point will be the conclusion of this I am statement. So first, Jesus says, I am the way. Again, it's a a direct answer to Thomas's question of how we can know the way. And so let's answer the question of how is Jesus the way? Point number two. Well, Jesus is referring to the ultimate destination, heaven. But he has to go a certain way for him to provide heaven for us. He has to go to the cross. He has to atone for the sins of his people. Otherwise, they could not go where he was going. You see, to know that we need him and his death as the way means we must first recognize 
where we are without him. We are lost. We are lost without his work. According to God's word, all mankind is in the condition of spiritual death and hopelessness. We're sinners. We're condemned before God apart from God's grace. We fall short of his standards of perfection in his commandments. We're separated from God. And our need is to be reconciled to him. So bad is our condition that we can't do anything about it ourselves. We're imperfect. And God requires perfection. Perfect righteousness according to his commands. And God is perfectly a judge. He must judge all sin, punish all sin in hell forever. And furthermore, we don't naturally have the ability to believe in God and to recognize our sin and our need for Christ. God has to regenerate our hearts and give us the ability to believe in him. This is the condition that unregenerate man is in. And notice the definite article there. The way, the only way, the exclusive way. He is the only way that we can be declared righteous. He is the only way that we can be forgiven of our sins and brought into heaven. And this is why Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, left heaven and the experience of glory in heaven to become a man, yet without sin, in order to be our substitute. You see, our Savior had to be God to earn for us righteousness that could be applied to all believers. He had to be God to suffer God's wrath, the equivalent of hell for the multitude of his people. He had to be God to overcome death and sin and the devil and rise from the dead. He had to be man in order to earn human righteousness for us. He had to be human in order to be a substitute to atone for our sins. And he had to be human in rising from the dead to be the firstborn of a redeemed human race. And so when Jesus says he's the way, he means that sinners may come to God only through his ministry of reconciliation, which he came to provide. Former pastor, Reverend Skip Ryan, who used to be a pastor in our denomination, told of how he served on a special project for the United States Department of State. They once held a briefing at the White House and they met in the Roosevelt Room, a conference room right across from the Oval Office. And after meeting, the person in charge asked Reverend Ryan if he would like to see the Oval Office since the president was out of town. And Ryan recalls two things about that experience. First, the awe that he felt in going into such a place. Second, though, he realized he could not have possibly entered that office unless he was taken there by someone authorized to bring him. Now, if that is true of the president of the United States and his office, how much more true It is of the glorious presence of Almighty God in heaven. You see, heaven is far more restricted 
than any high security location here on earth. Heaven is guarded by mighty angels armed with swords of divine power and entry into heaven is governed by the perfect and unyielding righteousness and justice of God. Jesus is the only authorized person through his perfect life and atoning death and resurrection that will usher us into God's presence. In a way, the the second and third statements in our text are subordinate to the first because the question that Jesus is answering here is how can we know the way? But to understand the way, you must also see these two other qualities of Jesus. He is the truth. And so, point number three, let's answer this question. How is Jesus the truth? Mankind needs revelation of truth. Why? Because we are fallen. Because of the fall, we are hard-hearted. We can't understand the truth. We reject the truth. We are darkened in our understanding. We are alienated from God. And so in order to be saved, we must be enlightened by the revelation of God's truth in his word. And the fullest expression of that truth is through Jesus. Jesus came to show us the Father. He only said what the Father gave him to say. He himself is one with the Father. He reveals the truth of God and the truth of mankind so that we can be saved and know God. God revealed himself in a special revelation in the Old Testament, but the supreme revelation of God came through his son. He brought clarity to the truths of God revealed in the Old Testament. This is why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I read a quote from Richard Baxter. It says, nothing can be rightly known unless God is known. Jesus is also the truth in that all truth comes to focus in him. Even when men and women know things that are true, unless this knowledge is held through faith in Jesus Christ, it is not truly known. Paul says in Colossians 2.3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now let's answer the other question. How is Jesus the life? Apart from Christ, we're spiritually dead. Because of the fall and because of our inherited nature, sinful nature, we are unable to do anything spiritually for our salvation. Death is separation from God. And so life on this earth without Christ is living death. Jesus says, though, in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. John says of Jesus in John 1.4, in him was the life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus made known to Nicodemus that God has to give new life to give his 
grace and to, and to allow and enable people to believe in Christ. He said in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so in order to receive Jesus as the way by faith, and in order to receive him as the truth, we must first receive new spiritual life. We must be regenerated. You know the story of Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, and how he had died, and Jesus showed up four days after he was in the tomb. But when he got there, he cried out, come out. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. The dead man was alive again. This is what Jesus has to do to us spiritually. He has to resurrect us. And then he has to become the constant source of life for us. Because it's through him that we have fellowship with God. We look to him for life and his presence within us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have life in Christ, and this life is eternal life. As John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, after these I am statements, Jesus summarizes what this means at the end of verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me, because he is the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father, meaning no one can be saved, no one can go to heaven except through faith in him and his finished work for salvation. In other words, point number five, Jesus is the only way to the Father. No one else can come to God except by believing in him through his grace. No one else came from God and was God except Christ. No one else has seen God and made him known except Christ. No one else embodies the truth of God except Christ. No one else shares the very life of God except Christ. Jesus here clearly states the exclusivity of believing in him for salvation. He is the only way because he's the only way that we can be righteous before God. The only way that our sins can be forgiven. If God says this is the only way, do you think he's going to reward anyone for refusing that way and trying their own way? That would be an insult to God. It's the equivalent of God, of someone saying, I have a better way than you, God, that, than the way that you've already determined to save people interesting that Jesus said this I am statement on the verge of his crucifixion he knew it meant him having to suffer and die for us he knew it meant the father pouring out his wrath on him and turning his back on him at the cross now think about this if there was ever another way to God do you think that God would have had his son go through all of that Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5, 
For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. This statement is not that we will find salvation by following the example of Christ. No, we cannot get to heaven by works. He's saying, I am the way. Believe in me. You know, the world is tolerant of all kinds of philosophies and religions that communicate that they are just one of the many ways to heaven. But they reject and despise this claim that Jesus is the only way and the truth and the life. You know, back in October, there was news of a man in North Carolina who died because he was following his GPS system. It led him to a bridge at night that was closed, that had broken down 10 years earlier, and he plummeted to his death. And that, to me, illustrates how following the world's teaching that there are many ways to God will lead us to a dead end, will lead us to a bridge to nowhere, will lead us to destruction. We read in our Assurance of Pardon, Acts 4.12, where Peter says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we've examined here the context of this passage and the meaning of Jesus being the way and the truth and the life and how he's the only way to the Father. These are gifts from the great I am, the way, the truth, the life. What application then should we take away from this passage? How should these truths impact our lives, especially this Christmas season? Well, maybe you're here this morning and your hearts are troubled. Maybe you're in a particularly dark time or a confusing time or a lonely time. You need to hear what Jesus says in this passage to you. Jesus is everything. Believing in him is how your heart can be comforted and encouraged. Believing in him involves trusting him as the way, the truth, and the life. Consider, number one, that since Jesus is the way, you must believe and follow him. You want your destination to be heaven, don't you? The problem is you can't get there on your own effort. We need a savior and only Christ is the Savior. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to have perfect righteousness. We need to have forgiveness of our sins through an atonement for our sins. We need to be resurrected spiritually from the dead, and only Christ can do this. Have you trusted in him? Have you believed in him? Have you surrendered your life to him? And if you know him as the way, then you will also want others to know the way. That's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. That's the meaning of Christmas. He came to be the way to the Father, the way to heaven. And this ought to re-energize us this time of year. We have a mission from God, those of us who are believers, to be ambassadors of Christ, to be ambassadors of the way. This is the good news that we have to share with others. We need to spread this news this Christmas season. And we have a wonderful opportunity to do that by 
inviting people to come to church. People are more apt to come to church during Christmas and Easter than other times of the year. Invite them to come and hear the gospel. Hear the great I am's of Jesus. Invite them to come to our lessons and carols on the 18th, where the gospel is, is, is proclaimed through the scriptures and through a homily and through music. Go and carol. So many of the carols have the gospel message right in them on the 11th, next Sunday. Go and carol with a group in a nearby neighborhood. Invite people to come to the Christmas Eve service. The gospel will be proclaimed then. And on Christmas morning, when we talk about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. But also use the the events that take place in your own life. The gatherings with neighbors and friends and family to talk about the message. The real meaning of gift giving is that God gave us the greatest gift through his life, death, and resurrection of his son. And express God's grace in, in, the, in gospel, word, and deed. Ministering to those who are in need, who are troubled with the love and joy of the message of Christ's coming. In our call to worship, we read in Psalm 86, teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. So secondly, since Jesus is the truth, you must continually look to his word. Jesus reveals himself through his word, the Bible. He speaks to us through his word. He reveals the Father to us. We, of course, must be enlightened in this special revelation by the Holy Spirit. But God's truth shows us our need for the gospel and reveals to us the work of nature of Christ. And we must continually be a student of Christ by being a student of his word. Truth is found in Jesus, and Jesus is found in his word. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We must continue to abide in the word of God, and as we do so, and apply its truths we will experience more and more of the freedom of living with Christ living in Christ he teaches us true wisdom for our lives how we are to live how we are to think we don't do this to earn salvation or earn points with God this is in a response to his grace in our lives and our new nature this is Christmas and I know it's a busy time for all of us But make sure you're carving time out every day to read God's word, to pray, and to spend time doing this with your family so that you keep the truth of Jesus center stage. Thirdly, since Jesus is the life, you must look to him to give and sustain spiritual life. Jesus is the bearer of resurrection life. Jesus can give eternal life to those under death's power. So we must pray for our friends, our relatives, our loved ones who do not know Christ, that God would cause them to be born again. And God often uses his word to bring about this new birth. 
Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Is there evidence in your life that you have received a new resurrected spiritual life? Well, you have experienced it if you have recognized your sin, turned from it, and relied on Christ alone and who he is and what he did for your salvation. You've experienced it if you have a love for Christ and you seek to surrender to his authority in your life every day. You have experienced it if you are seeking his word in the Bible and attempting with the Holy Spirit's power to obey his commandments. You've experienced it if you have a love for your neighbor and and want to share the gospel with your neighbor. You've experienced it if you want to be in fellowship with God's people and worship on the Lord's day. You've experienced it if you long for heaven and Christ's return. But this new life that we have in Christ must be nurtured. It's not automatic. Yes, God will cause us to persevere in our faith, but we must cooperate with the indwelling Holy Spirit. We can know an increasing measure of Christ's life in us as we draw near to God, as we use the means that God has given us to grow in His grace, the Word of God, prayer, and the sacraments. You know, this time of year, we think, it ought to be easier for us to focus on Christ. I think it's the opposite, actually. I think it's a lot easier for us to be tempted by the things of this world, you know, the, the, the things that, are, that we think are Christmassy, but really don't point us to Christ unless he's the focus of everything. For example, you know, we, we look forward to the festivities, we look forward to the gift giving, we look forward to the, the songs that are sung, the sentimentalism of this time. But if it's not focusing us on Christ, we're actually looking to something other than Christ as an idol to fulfill us as the focus of our satisfaction and joy. And so that's a constant temptation for Christians. So we need to continually repent of when we look to those things as idols, when we exchange those things uh, for Christ. Repent, turn back to him alone. He conveys his power, his life through his word. You know, even before followers of Christ were called Christians at Antioch, they were called followers of the way. In Acts 19, 9 and 23, we are people of the way, meaning we are people of Christ. We are people of his truth and of his life. We can't achieve it through our own efforts. No, it's a gift of his pure grace. And that is what the great I am came to give us. So let us be about following Jesus as the way and the truth and the life and telling others as well this time of year. Please pray with me.